You're listening to a message that was recorded live at Roots Community Church in Costa Mesa, California. Roots exists to celebrate the glory of God through lives transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. For more information about our community, visit us at rootschurch.net. Good morning, church. The reason we stand for the reading of God's word is because we stand at attention because the king has spoken, and so we listen, and we submit, and we bow the knee to King Jesus. Listen to Jesus' words from Matthew chapter 6, beginning in verse 19. Jesus says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food, and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Beloved, this is God's holy word to us. You may be seated. So we continue in our sermon series in Matthew, and we continue as we find ourselves right in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount. And we are stunned by this sermon. It's, it's literary genius, and it's divine genius, since it's Christ himself who is delivering this sermon. It's the greatest sermon ever preached because it's the greatest preacher who ever preached, Christ himself. 
And we find ourselves right in the middle of this teaching where Jesus is uninterested in staying floaty and ethereal, but he talks about really pointed matters. And so this morning we find ourselves in chapter 6, verse 19, where Jesus talks about money. Where often preachers avoid this topic, Jesus goes right for it. And he talks about anxieties, worries. And it's not a coincidence that these two subject matters are side by side because they often go hand in hand. And I don't have to convince you of that. We all know about inflation firsthand. We all know that experience when you're at the grocery store or you're looking through the budget or you're waiting for those five days until the next pay period. We know what that's like. With a price increase and inflation comes increase of anxieties and worries and questions like how am I going to get by? And so it's not coincidence that these are side by side. Not only our current economic status right now that we are uh, undergoing makes it difficult for us to, uh, to not worry when we're thinking about money, but as followers of Christ, this is especially difficult because what Jesus calls his followers, his disciples too, is radical kind of living that is so countercultural. Jesus said in chapter 6 in the first section, he says, Give your money away to those who are in need. This is the exact opposite of what the world says. In our passage this morning, Jesus says, don't stockpile treasures on earth, but treasures in heaven. This is otherworldly. Who does this kind of thing? Who lives this kind of way? And so for those who follow Christ, and for those who submit to this king that we are reading and listening and learning about in Matthew, Life, for those who follow after Christ, is especially difficult. We serve a Christ who, who carried a cross for, for us, and we are saved because of his work at the cross and in his glorious resurrection. And he also calls us to carry our own cross, and this affects all of life, even our wallets. And so this word to us is especially important. Jesus, in this text, he understands that we not only worry about money, but worry is oftentimes just the daily rhythm. It's like breathing for us. And so this is a word about, a specific word about worry, about money and how we will be provided for, and yet this extends into all sorts of worries and cares and concerns. And Jesus himself is very concerned about us. And he gives us a paradigm for how to think through what does it look like to live here as disciples of him in this life as he is calling us to radical obedience, as he is calling us to follow after him. And so what Jesus does here in this text is he lifts our gaze to completely different horizons. What Jesus does in this passage is he lifts our gaze upward to see a whole new horizon. And so with this in mind, church, let's look at what Jesus is drawing our attention to in this text. This leads to point one, true treasure. Point number one, true treasure. 
Look with me at verse 19. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And so we see here Jesus launches right into this discussion, this teaching on money and on possessions and on rewards, on treasure. But this isn't new for Jesus because he's been laboring in this same topic since chapter six. He says, don't give to the needy so that you would be seen by others. If you do that, then you've already received your reward. He says, don't pray to be seen by others. If you do that, okay, you've received your reward. But pray to your father Go and close the door and pray to your father who is in secret and there you will receive your reward. And he does the same thing with fasting. Don't look gloomy like the hypocrites, like the play actors, right? But instead, anoint your head with oil, wash your face so that you would be rewarded by your father in heaven. And so what Jesus is doing is he's naturally transitioning into this discussion on money, on treasure, on rewards. And so here, if, whether the reward is praise of man or actual money, Jesus is commanding his followers not to stockpile and hoard earthly treasures, things that will not last. And that's the reason and motivation Jesus gives us not to do that, because they won't last. Verse 19 again, do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. Jesus is saying, you, th- you think that your money and your possessions and these rewards will offer you some kind of stability but it's the complete opposite reality that is at work. These things have a facade of stability under your feet, but they won't last. They're not as stable as you think. Earthly treasures are susceptible to corruption. Every single car that we have ever seen will end up in rust one day or sold for parts, and those parts will go into other cars that will end in rust. Moth eaten. And so Jesus is saying, even if you happen to keep your treasures pristine and well cared for, even if you happen to do that, they're still either going to get stolen by others or given to another since you can't take anything with you in the grave. Therefore, in light of this temporary nature, of money and earthly possessions, Jesus says, don't do it. Don't bite down on that hook. It's not worth it. It doesn't last. Instead, do the exact opposite, verse 20. But rather, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. His argument is pretty straightforward. It's easy to follow. Don't store up treasures on earth because it's not going to last. 
but instead store up treasures in heaven because it will last. And while it's, it's a simple argument to follow, this is so profound. This is not simplistic. And this is otherworldly because the way that Jesus says that you store up treasures in heaven is by giving earthly ones away. What Jesus means when he says store up treasures in heaven is he's, he's saying spend yourself for the sake of the gospel. Give yourself away to God and to others. That's what it looks like to store up treasures in heaven. Later in Matthew in chapter 19, Jesus will say to the rich young ruler, go sell what you possess. Sell what you possess and give to the poor and then you'll have treasures in heaven. This is like nothing we can ever understand and comprehend with the wisdom of man. Addition by subtraction. Gaining heavenly treasures by giving away earthly ones. However, this only makes sense if you are utterly convinced that heaven is better. This only makes sense if you're utterly convinced that heaven is better, that the God of heaven is your greatest reward, and that nothing on earth, no matter how shiny it is, can ever rival him. That's why we read this call to worship. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there's nothing on earth that I desire besides you. Jesus is lifting our gaze to a whole another horizon. And in the midst of our own worries about money and provision, what Christ is doing is he is promising us not more money so that we wouldn't worry, but he's providing for us a better currency. He's giving us a better currency. He's giving us heaven itself. For those who are anxious, for those who are worried, this is gold. And this is the argument that he continues to make. Look with me at verse 22. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? And through this somewhat cryptic metaphor, Jesus is actually continuing his argument and saying, treasure God. Store up treasures in heaven. Give to others like a healthy eye which provides guidance and direction to the body as it navigates its way through life. As R.T. France writes, like a lamp in a dark room provides guidance and illumination, an eye fixed on God and others acts like a lamp providing a kind of purposeful direction and pathway in life with which Jesus here is commending. And in contrast, the eye that is not fixed and set on God and on heaven is like a blind eye bent in on oneself and stumbles throughout life in darkness. This is what Jesus is saying about those who treasure earth and those who treasure heaven. This is another way of what Jesus already said. And then Jesus ties up this whole teaching on treasure by bringing it to its culmination, which is, 
worship. Verse 24, no one can serve two masters for either he will hate the one and love the other or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. And so in these verses, 19 through 24, if we zoom out, Jesus is providing for us two kinds of lives, two pathways of living, where you stockpile and you treasure earth and your riches and you accumulate for yourself comfort and you, you are amassed for yourself wealth to serve selfish gain and that this is actually stumbling around through life in the dark, blind, and that that kind of life is a life of worship, but not of God, but of money and self. And then Jesus provides for us the way that his followers are to walk. Those who have been ransomed by Christ have their eyes fixed on heaven. Their eyes are wide open to God, are treasuring heaven, and see with the eyes of faith what man cannot apart from the spirit of God. This is worship. This is who we bow down to, God himself. And so for us, this is a reckoning. This passage is a bit of a reckoning for us. Where we say, where am I at? Where am I? It's, it, it, it's very introspective in that sense and causes us to pause. Jesus himself in verse 21 says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And so where am I? Where am I? What am I valuing? What am I treasuring? What am I enamored by? And this is really convicting, right? This doesn't mean that those who are in Christ aren't tempted to earthly treasures, right? This doesn't mean that those who are in Christ are tempted to value and treasure things other than God, to set the mind on earthly things and not heaven. But what Jesus is saying here is there is a fundamental way of living, that you cannot fundamentally live for yourself, and for God. You fundamentally can't bow down to your possessions and to yourself and to God at the same time. But him only shall you serve. This is the call to us. And for us, church, this, this teaching, this call from Christ himself is not meant for our shame, but for our good. Because God would not have it for us to be distracted with toys and trinkets when he offers us himself. This is for our good. And so what Jesus is doing here is he's lifting our gaze upward, higher than earth, to heaven itself, to himself, the God of heaven. He provides for us a different perspective. And we're not there yet. Heaven has broken in. Remember back in Matthew chapter four, Jesus says, the kingdom of heaven is at hand, right? Heaven has broken in. Christ has accomplished such a work. Those who are in Christ are now citizens of this kingdom of God, of heaven. 
and we're not there yet. We're waiting for that day when we get to sing this song that we just sang, Where Shall I Be, where we'll actually be there, right? But we're not there yet. And so the next logical anticipation that Jesus uh, brings forward in this teaching is, okay, you're following after me. This life in Christ is costly sacrifice. Discipleship is not easy. And so he's anticipating his disciples' next questions. How will I be provided for here on earth? I know what waits in heaven, but what about here and now? And so Jesus again directs our gaze upward, which leads us to point two, true provision. Verse 25. Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Once again, Jesus naturally moves into this section. He's anticipating as a good teacher, as a good savior, he's anticipating his disciples' questions. Okay, what about life here on earth? How will I be provided for? And Jesus says, don't worry. This passage is so familiar, and it's such a balm. It has been for thousands of years for the church, for those who are anxious, for those who worry, which is all of us to some degree. But it's important to note that Jesus is not providing here an exhaustive teaching on anxiety, because not all anxiety is created equally. What Jesus here is teaching is actually really specifically related to this issue of heavenly treasure and earthly treasure and worries about food and clothing and daily provision, right? But there's a spectrum of anxiety, right? From a low-grade kind of anxiety and worry that can be easily pinpointed to a kind of anxiety where it's not as easily pinpointed in body and soul. And yet, for all of us on the spectrum, all of us who are anxious, all of us who worry, this is a word for us. This is exactly what we need to hear. And so Jesus goes right to the main reason why we shouldn't worry. He gives us lots of reasons in this passage. In verse 27, he says, don't worry because worrying won't add anything to your life. If you worry, it's not like you'll get another hour, like at daylight savings. That's not how it works. It doesn't do anything. At the end of this passage, in verse 34, Jesus says, don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow will worry about tomorrow. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. So Jesus gives us many reasons why we should not worry. But the main reason that he gives here in this passage is rooted in who God is, and he directs our attention to God's creation. Look with me at verse 26. Jesus says, look at the birds of the air. And what we learn from watching the birds of the air is that God provides for the birds of the air. 
Verse 26, look at the birds of the air. They don't sow, they don't reap, they don't gather into barns. They don't do anything. They don't even have arms. They're so dependent on every speck of food with their beaks. If God provides for the birds, won't he provide for you, his child? Verse 26, it says, your heavenly father feeds the birds. Birds cannot call God their father. Even if they could speak, they could only say, God, my creator. And yet Jesus says here, God, your father cares for you. He cares for the birds. Won't he provide for you, his son, his daughter? Jesus does the same thing with the flowers of the field. Look at verse 30 with me. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? So Jesus gives this really helpful illustration for how to understand why we shouldn't worry and says, don't worry about food. Look, God, your father provides for the birds. Won't he provide for you? And then he says, look at the grass. Look at the fields. God provides clothing for them. Fine clothing. Even more glorious than Solomon's clothing. These flowers of the field. Won't he provide for you? And there's such a contrast between the flowers of the field and the children of God. Grass and flowers were meant to be used as fuel for the fire. But you, for you who are in Christ, you have been spared from the burning flood of God's righteous wrath. There is such a massive cosmic difference between this kind of creation that we see here in the text and those new creations which we have been created in Christ for. Jesus summarizes this point in verse 31. Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles, the unbelieving world, seeks after these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. Church, this is again an invitation for us to come to and to trust again and again and again God our Father, God our provider, God the one who has caused us to be born again, God the one who will continue to provide for his children. And this addresses food and clothing, and this addresses all kinds of anxieties and worries, even worry about worry. It's important to note, too, that God provides in ways that are very unexpected, often. God's provision and care for us often is hard for us to understand because obviously we're not God. We don't have all wisdom and power and authority. We're not sovereign. We don't see the whole picture 
And so God's provision and care for his people is always there, and sometimes it's in ways that we can't expect it. Which is why those who have, in, the, in, in church history, who have been in Christ and who have died of starvation are not found outside of this passage, but God in his mercy and in his grace and in his wisdom have brought his children straight to the banquet table to feast on him, to never hunger, to never thirst anymore. God provides for his children in unexpected ways. And I know that some of us here have had earthly fathers who when we have asked for bread and for fish, they have provided stones and scorpions. There are many fathers who have not reflected the kind of love and care of God the Father. And even for those good earthly fathers, a pale in comparison to our God because we have a Father who is in heaven a father who stands above and outside of his creation, who stands in heaven, our father in heaven, hallowed be your name. And in the same matter that our hearts are fixed on heavenly treasure, more than that, the God of heaven, his eyes and his gaze is fixed on his children to provide for his little ones, in ways that we cannot provide for ourselves. And this is great reason not to worry. We truly have nothing to fear. You may feel like you're in the jaws of Satan, but we have nothing to fear. This is why Paul says in Romans 8, that you have not received the adoption as slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the adoption of sons by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, if you're a child, then you're an heir of God and a fellow heir with Christ. And this begs the question, what kind of inheritance have you received, church, as you have come to Christ by faith? The inheritance that you have received is Christ himself. The ironic thing here in this passage is that Jesus Christ is teaching on anxiety and fear and worry and he's drawing our attention to God the Father and his provision and care. The ironic thing about this is that Jesus himself is the culmination, is the very proof of God's provision and care for his people. If God gave up his only son for you, how will he not also graciously give you all things? If he has made you a son and daughter by grace and through faith, won't he also provide for you in life? If he did that, won't he continue to do that? We have Nothing to fear. Therefore, church, this passage, this text, this word from Christ himself is, do not worry. Do not worry. Because you have treasure 
in heaven and you have the most supreme treasure of heaven. You have God himself. You have God, your father. And if you have God, your father, then nothing can separate you from him. Nothing can stand between you and him. No fear, no worry, no anxiety can thwart his plans, his good purposes for your life. Let's pray. Father, we, we know that you're our God, our Father. For those who have come to you by faith, we know that you're our Father, and yet it is so difficult to grasp this reality. Lord, I pray by your spirit that this would be a felt experience and reality. That this doctrine, this teaching from the Sermon on the Mount would not merely stay in Matthew 6, but would be written on our hearts, God, that we would know that you are our Father without a shadow of a doubt. Lord, that we would see you, God, as our Father, that we would look to Christ and without a shadow of a doubt know that you care for your people, God. I pray that you would do this work in the name of Christ. Amen.